dynamic diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be Dynamic magazine We're all different but we can learn from each other Dynamic Diversity Unfiltered. Dynamic Leaders for a Changing World Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and average folks talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode, I, I find sort of people quite interesting, and therefore, to my mind, I always wanted to be in an area that was very, you know, people-oriented. Dynamic talks to Richard Chapman Harris from across the pond about his fight for global sustainable diversity in the workplace. Major changes are taking place globally with regards to recognition of minorities in the workplace and it comes as no surprise that sustainable diversity comes up. It is not just enough to employ a few people from various ethnic backgrounds and call your company diverse. Organizations must respect and appreciate the talents, benefits, and perspectives individuals bring to the table in order to better serve a diverse society. Richard Chapman Harris, the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Manager hailing from London, England, tells Dynamac about the advantages to having diverse voices at the leadership table. All right, so the first question I have for you this morning is where are you originally from and how diverse was that community? Okay, sure. Um, so I um, was born in Barbados, the Caribbean, um, and uh, my parents lived there for a, a, quite a while. Um, and so for me, I, mean, I think that was probably pretty formative in my appreciation of, of um, you know, diversity. Um, also being a, a minority myself within that context, but being very aware that although um, as a white individual I was the minority, there wasn't that same level of um, disadvantages that you see for minorities in other populations across the world. So it was very much a, you know, a relatively privileged position. Um, more broadly, um, my mother's step family um, are majority Muslim. So again, growing up within uh, a very sort of religiously diverse and also racially diverse family, um, to my mind, helped um, to have a real personal understanding and to appreciate um, you know, difference as a good thing and also diversity was very much part of my, you know, my upbringing. Um, is that that sort of information that you're looking for? Yes, that is. Uh, oh, thank you sure? for that. Okay, so what no motivated you to choose a career with a focus on diversity and inclusion? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think for me, I always wanted to do work that was going to help people. Um, you know, I think it's important, obviously, to get paid you can pay your you know, rent and, and groceries and everything else um, but for me it was also important that I felt the work I was doing um, was you know part of a bigger picture um, and that it was something that I was supporting society to improve rather than you know working on spreadsheets or, or you know um, something that was very kind of um, I guess didn't have that direct impact on society um, and also for me I, I just found 
how do you find people and how people approach different you know uh, experiences and how people think very differently I, I find sort of people quite interesting and therefore to my mind I always wanted to be in an area that was very you know people oriented um, and I guess you know probably probably due to my own biography but um, my studies at university around sociology um, made sense that I would move into um, you know, working in the diversity space. However, what I would say is that, you know, when I was studying, I didn't know that my job existed. Um, and I still think lots of people don't really know that being a diversity practitioner is a career. I mean, I think it's increasing, um, but I, I think it's important that we also highlight this is an avenue as a profession, as a specialism, um, because I sort of fell into it. Um, I started working at a graduate recruitment company um, and they had a diversity offering for some of their key clients from investment banks, financial services, the government. Um, and I was working on that product, uh, connecting recruiters with diverse student groups. So we had one um, bank that wanted students to work in the Middle East and they wanted them to have um, Arabic language skills, but they wanted to recruit them in the UK. So we then sponsored um, the Arabic society. We had a Middle Eastern society at another university. So it was a way of connecting. And, and again, for me, I felt that that was quite a nice hands-on insight. And then from there, I've continued to work um, in the diversity space. But it was very much something that, um, you know, I sort of fell into, but obviously has then sort of stuck, you know, from, from there on, really. <laughs> okay. And tell us about Mont McDonald, your role there, and why the institution is important to diversity initiatives. Okay, sure. Um, so my role with Mott McDonald, I'm the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Manager. Um, so I have responsibility for all of our EDI efforts, um, focused on the UK, but we're very much looking to map that blueprint across the global company. So we operate in 150 countries, we've got roughly 15,000 members of staff, um, and I'm also joined by um, my colleague Sophie Lee, who's an EDI advisor, um, and she has responsibility specifically for the UK's uh, EDI action plans. So the reason why EDI is, is so fundamental to our organization is um, for all the sort of the, the diversity business case reasons, but actually they are very pertinent to our, our, our business, indeed the engineering and consultancy sector, um, is that we want our staff to be able to perform at their best. Uh, we know that happy employees um, you know, are more effective, they're more efficient, mm -hmm. um, and that's important for their own well-being as, well, as much as um, their intellectual well-being um, and diversity is fundamental to making sure that everyone feels included um, and respected equally but also that we can treat them appropriately based on their needs rather than saying we treat everyone the same because actually we're, we're all different but we need to know that we are all respected equally. Um, alongside that also is looking at having that representation throughout the organization so that we get diverse talent coming into the business um, so we're not just fishing in the small same pools because we know that the competing for talent is very fierce but we need to make sure that everyone feels that they can work with us and everyone wants to work with us um so at the the kind of entry level but also throughout the organization making sure that everyone feels included so we don't see the drop-offs of talent um you know we know that in the engineering sector Sometimes we talk about there's not only kind of the glass ceiling for women, for example, uh, or indeed ethnic minorities, uh, where they're not progressing at the same rate up to a certain level, but also there's what we can describe as the glass cliff, where we see a disproportionate number of 
um, underrepresented groups leaving the organization. Um, and you can also argue on, uh, that there is uh, a glass um, sort of closet, I guess, um, where staff can't move across the organization the same way. So we see that specifically for women again, where um, they don't have the lateral moves at the same rate as their male peers. Um, mm -hmm. We sort of coined the term glass closet there as well, which uh, Laura Blount used for um, LGBT colleagues where they feel they can't kind of you know, break out and, and be more open about themselves in the workplace. Um, but I also think that the more broadly across the industry um, is that we know the industry is still seen very much as a domain of um, white men. Um, and if we look at our, the diversity of talent pools coming through, the industry needs to diversify to understand the changing local and global landscape. Um, that's not to say that a senior white man doesn't understand you know, gender or race or disability or LGBT inclusion, but actually the fundamental experiences that minority groups can bring adds that diversity dimension to um, the existing landscape. Otherwise, we can fall into the trap of groupthink, having quite homogenous teams, which we know don't provide the same level of innovation and creativity that, that mixed teams do. Um, so I guess kind of, those are three the kind of headline, I guess, reasons why you know, it's fundamental to our organization, really. Okay, beautiful. And England and Wales recently celebrated its 50th anniversary of the decriminalization of male homosexuality. Tell us mm -hmm. why recognizing this landmark achievement is so important to the advancement of LGBT rights and equality. Sure. Um, so actually, I mean, for, for me, as a gay man, um, you know, that, that's pretty fundamental that I, uh, you know, can can live. Um, uh, a non-criminal lifestyle, <laughs> you know, it's pretty basic stuff. Um, but, but you know, I have access to the same, um, you know, rights as, as you know people in society. But also, you know, if we talk about the workplace as well, um, I do think that we also need to be mindful that there is that legacy, um, and that you know there there are friends and there are colleagues working in um, the industry who have been through that criminalisation process. Um, you know, and if we think about actually even with regards to equal employment rights, up until 2004, you could be dismissed for being uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, or indeed transgender. Um, you know, so that's not a long time ago. Um, and there's still going to be the implications and impacts on you know, individuals personally, but also looking at the professional trajectory as well. Um, so was your question more around the workplace or more around society? Both. You can give me both. Okay, sure. No problem. Um, I mean, I think the, you know the um, one of the ways that I do think um, it's important to to look at that that history is to understand what are the the wider social implications. Um, so there's still a lot of dialogue around um, specifically gay men feeling rejected on some level. Um, you know, issues of self harm through alcohol or drug abuse. Um, you know, unsafe sexual practices, for example, is still uh, higher amongst that demographic. Um, and it's a very complex topic, but one of the arguments is that that's based on the, the societal rejection that, um, you know, visible gay people experience. Um, and you know, that's an ongoing challenge. Equally, there's a dialogue to say, well, actually, with having equal marriage um, means that are we as gay people then assimilating into the heterosexual majority? Um, and some individuals do feel that we shouldn't kind of adhere to 
the you know uh, confines of monogamous marriage, for example, um, because we know that again, marriage as an institution has positives, but indeed uh, negatives around things like you know domestic violence, etc. Um, so it's, I think it's a challenging kind of dialogue, but it's important that um, the conversations moved on to look at um, you know well-being, to look at supporting um, the LGBT community, because we have managed to. Um, you know, decriminalize what essentially is very much um, uh, an identity um, as well as a, a key community in society. Um, within the workplace context, again, um, in Mount McDonald, what we've done is we have our, our Advancing LGBT Plus Network, um, which is sponsored at board levels. So we have a board level sponsor in the company as well as three champions that have protected time and budget to organize initiatives to support our staff. Uh, more recently, and it's something I'm, I'm literally working on today, <laughs> we're doing a reverse mentoring initiative where we've paired up junior grade staff who identify as LGBT+, who have a disability or who are Black, Asian, minority, ethnic, with leaders in the business for a 12-month mentoring, but also reverse mentoring initiative where the junior grade diverse staff will have access to senior leaders. Um, to have an insight into progression opportunities initiatives, but also to give those senior leaders who are mostly white men in our organization um, access to diverse role models. So to build their understanding of what's it like to be a young black woman in our organization, because most of them will not have that experience and might even be kind of uncomfortable to ask the question. So by having someone sat opposite them who can relay that information and they can connect with them on a very one-to-one -one basis, it removes that, that maybe um, discomfort or concern about asking those questions. And it means that um, that individual also then has access to a mentor to guide them through their own career as well. So um, that's an issue running over the next 12 months. And we've um, got training at the end of this month for the mentors and mentees um, who will be pairing up going forward. So. Um, yeah, I think some very macro social challenges, but equally there's some very much um, specific initiatives that we're driving in the organization as well. Okay, and in the wake of the vote for Brexit, there has been mm -hmm. there have been reports of several racially and ethnically motivated attacks. Tell us what this means for the future of diversity in the UK. Oh gosh, um, <laughs> I mean it, it's. <laughs> It's a really, it's such a difficult one because um, I do think that the the Brexit vote for some groups absolutely, uh, and let's not tiptoe around the, the the subject. You know, the vote to leave um, the EU was very much laced with quite, I would say, quite overt racial prejudice. Um, you know, for some people who voted to leave, they were driven by um, very sort of xenophobic, nationalistic intentions. I would like to think that's a small minority. Um, I do think, however, the dialogue around Brexit has been um, very much conflated with those sentiments. Um, you know, and I, I do think that it's something that we need to tackle and, and counter face on because it's important that we recognize individuals feel very negatively about that result. Um, I mean, I've had colleagues uh, reach out to me to say, you know, well, what does this mean for us working in the UK? Um, actually, does this mean that 50 plus percent of the population, or I think it's 48 percent of the population, 52 percent population, but you know, half the population um, 
are now racially prejudiced. You know, some people have actually interpreted that result to say that, you know, half of the people in the country I live in don't like me, don't want me, don't respect me, don't think I should be here. Um, and that's a really negative message for people to be receiving. Um, and I think it's important for us to realize that um, that that isn't the reality. It isn't that, you know, people who voted for Brexit um, were racially driven. But I do think that we then need to support individuals that feel that's the message that's coming across. So I do think the Brexit vote really has to kind of double our efforts to really translate that message in the right way and also have to have positive messages to balance out the negative interpretation of Brexit. Um, and that's an ongoing, you know, really difficult process. Um, and I think that, you know, it's something that will probably take shape going forward. Um, I mean, beyond that, I think that, you know, there's so much kind of uncertainty in that whole area. But part of that, I would say, um, is that we need to provide some level of clarity to say that to reinforce our policies and our processes um, and you know, in society, again, to really say, you know, we are an inclusive country. We're an inclusive company. We are inclusive individuals that, you know, this does not mean this for us and that, um, you know, if we look at an organization in more detail, you know, zero tolerance to bullying and harassment, um, to any inappropriate language to be reported um, through several avenues, um, as well as then have those positive messages coming out from leadership of the country or of the community or of a company to say that, you know, we are absolutely inclusive and respect um, the ethnic and national diversity of our colleagues, uh, members of our community. So I, I do think what it really means is that we need to probably work harder um, and that we need to recognize what the messages are that are out there and make sure we're equipped to balance them out with the positive message of inclusion, really. Okay. And why is it important to recognize diversity on a global scale? You spoke about this earlier, but just to give some more insight on that, why is it important mm -hmm. to recognize diversity on a, on a global scale? Sure. So, um, I, it's interesting because just reflecting on the Brexit vote and also, um, again, not to be too political, but I think, you know, with uh, the Trump pre presidency in the US is that um, there's a, a macro feeling of, um, you know, globalization hasn't worked and actually we're going to go more towards uh, regionalization or even more insular um, towards kind of, you know, protectionist approaches. Um, I, I'm not convinced that's going to be the case because if you look at social media, we can access um, you know, individuals across the world much more easily than we could do when we had the last period of, of re relative sort of isolationist nationalist approaches. Um, so for me, global diversity still remains hugely important for us to connect with um, each other across the global landscape, to share ideas um, and also ideas outside of maybe our local bubble. Um, and again, what I think is important about having access to global diversity is that we can tap into a huge array of thoughts and ideas, cultures, beliefs, um, to really understand what is that, you know, the sort of dynamic experience of being a human being. I mean, this might sort of start to sound a little bit kind of, you know, abstract, but I do think that um, having an insight into the diversity across the globe will also help individuals to reflect on what they believe the truth to be. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you maybe a more specific example. So 
for me as an individual um, working in the UK, I've delivered training and I've worked with colleagues and, and as a uh, Western individual myself, I feel that you know what I design with regards to training or how I communicate the diversity message um, is, is pretty good, hopefully, <laughs> I'd like to think. But actually when I've looked <laughs> to map that um, when I was in um, our East Asian offices, so in Singapore and Hong Kong, I found it really useful to realize that the, the Western model of um, you know, supporting the individual and bringing out the individual's diversity actually doesn't map as well onto the East Asian culture where the individual shouldn't be prioritized over the, the benefits of the group. And it shouldn't be that we think about the individual's needs at the expense, perhaps, of the group. So when we talk about inclusion in different contexts, and actually how I had to tailor my message um, for my East Asian colleagues, or colleagues in East Asia who are of all different backgrounds, um, was that it wasn't how I would normally deliver it as a, a white Western man. And I had to understand how do I um, kind of promote the idea of inclusion for a culture that has very different um, core values. Um, and so for me, I do think that operating globally and actually engaging globally and really appreciating that global diversity means we do come up with actually better solutions, better ideas, um, you know, for organizing better infrastructures because we've got a diversity of thoughts and we've had a, a difference of inputs rather than creating something that we think is right based on perhaps relatively narrow reference. Um, and I do think that tapping into that global uh, mindset is going to be important for society to really access ideas and thoughts, um, but also for businesses to really tap into, you know, where are things evolving, progressing? What are the new challenges, new ideas um, that are, you know, not always happening in one location that might be happening in, in, in several? Um, so I think for me, that's kind of one of the reasons why I think the global diversity piece is so important. Okay, and you were recently nominated for a few LGBT diversity awards and listed in the Economist Global list of the top 50 diversity professions in the industry. Tell us about the work mm -hmm. leading up to these nominations. Sure. Um, so, for me, really, the the nominations are are kind of a, a very welcome byproduct of the work that I'm doing with McDonald. Um, so, for me. It's great to be recognized you know, um, by the LGBT Awards uh, as a, a gay individual and also by The Economist you know, for my work around the ETI piece. But I would say one of the part of the reason why um, my efforts can be recognized to that level is because the huge amount of support that I've had um, personally as well as professionally. So you know, um, the, the support I get from my parents, the support I get from my husband, but also I would say the support um, from Mott McDonald as an organization. So having worked in diversity for about 12, maybe 13 years now, um, the active and engaged and facilitative leadership that I have in Mott McDonald is not something that I, I see consistently, even when I operate as a, a freelancer. Um, the, the engagement and the support, um, to my mind, you know, I haven't experienced that same level previously. So. I think really that what runs up to those nominations is the fact that I can access our MD, our, our CEO, um, with an idea, with a challenge, and to say, what do you think about this? And their answer will be yes, 
and then let's look at the practicalities. Rather, what I do think some diversity practitioners get is that, mm, no, I'm not so sure, you need to convince me. Actually, we do start from a yes, and we then work through the specifics. So it's a very positive approach to the work that I'm doing, which does make, um, you know, my, um, you know, I guess makes my life easier. <laughs> but also okay. it means that I can move forward and we can push forward with more dynamic EDI interventions rather than always feeling as though we have to kind of go back to square one. Um, so I think I would say, you know, kind of in a, in a summary that kind of support personally and professionally has really allowed me to um, be as dynamic and be as ambitious with the work that I'm doing that I do think then is recognized by, you know, various awarding bodies. Okay, and name two of your mentors for me and how they have inspired you. Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. <laughs> Um, so the one, one mentor, uh, and actually I need to uh, drop an email, um, Pam, Pamela Hutchinson, um, we catch up and she's mentored me for, oh gosh, it might be coming up to a couple of years now. Um, so Pamela was previously a client of mine when she was um, the Chief Diversity Officer at Northern Trust and she's now um, with Bloomberg. Um, and Pamela, again, um, I found just has a very easy um, very confident approach, but actually she really knows what she's talking about. Um, and for me, you know, actually with a good amount of experience around diversity, actually there aren't that many people who have um, that next level of experience that I can tap into. And that's partly because I do think that diversity as a specialism has gradually evolved. Um, so Pamela's approach to my mind very much was about connecting me up with other groups and initiatives and, and saying, well, actually, I found this to be really useful. I wasn't really convinced by that and was just always honest. Uh, and I never felt that there was any agenda. It was purely she wanted to listen. She wanted to hear what I was saying, but absolutely had her own inputs. But I didn't feel like she was trying to rush me through to kind of give me her opinion. And I think sometimes mentors feel as though they need to tell you what to do, whereas I do feel her approach always was, I want to listen and understand, and then I can make a, a, a suggestion. Um, so, you know, Pamela's a great example, I would say. I know that she probably <laughs> mentors loads of people. Um, and I guess sort of the second one, it's, I mean, um, it's a difficult one, really. So another one I would say, Chris Park, um, so P-A-R-K-E, um, he heads up a, a company called Talking Talent, um, and mm -hmm. they provide... Um, executive uh, female coaching and development programs. Um, but I've actually been working with Chris on an initiative called Majority Champions of Inclusion, um, where I do feel that the diversity dialogue doesn't always land um, straight white, able-bodied, middle-aged, middle-class men in the same way because they might not feel that it's about them. Um, and that's not a criticism, and I do think sometimes the way that we communicate the, the diversity message almost feels like it's not quote-unquote for them. Um, and sometimes you can get a demographic group that think, well, you know, um, I think I'm a nice person, but I'll let the women get on with the gender equality stuff, or I'll let my ethnic minority colleagues sort out the race equality issues. You know, like, I'm supportive. Uh, I don't exactly understand, you know, actually how much of a challenge it is, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm an open kind of person. However, when we then run events on gender or race equality, for example, 
it will be that the women come or the minorities come. We don't then see, you know, what in some organizations can be up to 80% of the workforce. We don't see that majority champion group coming to these initiatives. Um, and that's not to say that if a, you know, a white man talks about gender equality or race equality, we'll listen more. I do think, unfortunately, that still is a social reality. I don't think we should be listening to that group more, uh, speaking as a white man. But at the same time, mm -hmm. I do think that hearing um, the power of gender equality from a man removes that almost unconscious bias that, oh, it's her own personal agenda. Um, and so Chris and I have been working on, on an initiative around that piece, as he is also obviously a, a majority champion himself, working specifically to champion you know, gender equality at the senior levels of business. Um, so yeah, probably those are the two kind of people that I would put in that, that mentor category. Okay, and what advice would you give to young and upcoming advocates fighting for equality? The, the equality landscape is changing um, so much, but at the same time, um, those inequalities will persist, unfortunately. So, I mean, my advice would be to try and get as much experience as possible. So, um, to you know, reach out to other practitioners in the industry, um, to collaborate, um, to try and get a difference of perspective because we can all onto the trap maybe of uh, focusing on, on quote unquote our area. Um, and I do think that sometimes there's a very important learning experience to championing an area that you maybe don't understand or you haven't got any personal insights into um, as a way of broadening your, your experience and your understanding. Um, I also think that it's important to understand that the the diversity means diversity, um, and so that you know equality champions can really engage and understand the experiences more broadly. Um, so specifically, it's the 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 challenges experienced by say um, you know women in the workplace. Um, a lot of those are mapped onto the experiences of um, gay staff, for example. Um, and if we look at the implications around uh, implicit misogyny, that does have implications around uh, or intersectionalities with race, with you know disability, for example. So what I would say is, is really try and actually work on diversity as diversity, uh, and to understand mm -hmm. that um, you know people are very dynamic, and that there's a huge breadth across the inclusion piece, and to perhaps not. Uh, maybe become blinkered to, to one protected characteristic or one equality strand. Okay, perfect. And the last question I have for you is, what is next for you? What can we look out for? Um, I mean, I, I would say really the um, my main goal going forward is um, to actually see cultural change in the organization I'm working with. Um, and we, we do hear that that's happening, and we can see in our employee engagement surveys that um, staff are feeling more included. They feel that our diversity policies are uh, more effectively implemented. But for me, it's really to drive that culture change, because I do think, unfortunately, sometimes diversity initiatives can be seen as a, a tick in the box. Um, you know, oh, it's nice if you do this, it's nice if you do, you do that, but you don't see the organizational, structural, systematic changes. Um, and, and that's what I want to see, you know, so uh, with Mott McDonald, for example, that we will have, um, you know, more diversity of staff, um, more diversity of staff at senior levels, you know, um, greater numbers of diverse candidates coming through into our organization. Um, and we have set 
BDI goals, uh, measurable goals around our action plan going forward. So for me, really, I wanted to be the, and my kind of measure is that no matter what member of staff you speak to, if you came to kind of a Mottmodov office and say, what, what is your organization doing around diversity? They'll be able to tell you, and that also they will feel that that is a genuine culture change initiative, that it doesn't fall into the trap of going, oh yeah, it's a tick the box thing, and actually we still have issues around A, B, and C. Um, so I guess next for me, it's something that maybe is not big and showy, <laughs> but it's something that I think really is at the heart of inclusion, is that we are managing to improve the culture of the organization, which will make you know the business more productive, more effective, more sustainable. Okay. All right. Well, we will definitely look out for that. And thank you again for taking the time out to do the interview with us. You too. Take care. Thanks, Riley. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join Dynamic in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired.